0: You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com.
1: Gordon Damer filling in for Dave for the next three hours. So we'll, we'll take you up until noon. Lots to get into. And we'll get into all of it on a kind of overcast, kind of cool Saturday morning. Not exactly last week. That was the weekend. This weekend doesn't look like it's going to be so great. But, uh, of course, the number you know, one 800 919 ESPN, I'm on Twitter at Gordon Damer. I'm on Instagram at Gordon Damer. And more importantly, I'm right here on your radio uh, until noon. So look, we got a lot of stuff to get into. The Yankees continue to be a complete mess. Just when you want to, if you're a Yankee fan, delude yourself into thinking, ah, it's gonna, it's gonna be okay. No need to panic. Maybe, maybe they're starting to hit, maybe. They're starting to score some runs. Maybe there can be some like small, like kind of sliver of faith. Perhaps they go out Thursday night and lose a game like that. Oh my God, that was a disaster. I mean, they've lost to better opponents this year. They've lost bigger games this year, but just in terms of the way they lost Thursday night, that was the worst loss of the season. So we will get into the concerns. We will get into the issues. We will get into the problems. And that alone really could fill us up for the next three hours. But we're not going to do three hours on the Yankees, mainly because my sanity can't take it. But we'll touch on the Brooklyn Nets, who have their biggest game of the playoffs so far coming up, right? Game four against the Bucks. I mean, there's no real other way to put it. When you have a 2-1 series, game four tells you, are you going to have a short series? Or do you have a series? And I don't really believe in Milwaukee. I don't know how many people do. Although I have to be honest, after game three, it seemed like a lot of people in the media, at least, were all of a sudden back on that Bucks bandwagon. I, I think they got lucky in game three. And I don't think, not just in this in this game four, I don't think Brooklyn is, is going to truly face a crisis point anywhere in this playoffs, barring another injury, right? Like if, if Durant or or Kyrie were to go around, go down, then okay. And if they do face a crisis point, the good news is Kevin Durant's bodyguards, they're on high alert, people. They are ready for anything. They are watching the skies. They are watching the seas. They are on high alert. So if anything happens, they'll be the first ones to know. But look, if Milwaukee wants to make believers, go win game four. Pretty simple, right? Go win game four. Game three, that was to salvage some pride. And again, I do think that the Bucks kind of got fortunate in that one because you take a look at the final score and you think to yourself if you didn't watch the game, wow, the defense. That Bucks defense must have really clamped down. No, not really. It was just it was just it was just Brooklyn missing a bunch of shots that especially Kevin Durant usually makes for whatever reason they just didn't they didn't fall. So, but if they go win game 4, you kind of show that you belong in the series because uh it it, it does feel like there's a disproportionate amount of people who now all of a sudden think that this is a series, but I don't think anybody really should believe in Milwaukee you know fear the deer, nobody fears deer uh, they're the least uh, frightening thing deer fear everything so nobody fears the deer and uh, we'll see if they can at least make it a series with a game four win but look where we have to be where do you think we're going to begin? you know I'm filling in for Dave I'm thinking to myself, you know wh- where would Dave begin? and I think it's it's clearly with what we saw last night. And in sports, look, you root for your teams, you root for your guys. But I think overall, if you're a sports fan, what really sucks you in is the chance to see something you've never seen before, to see greatness at a level you've rarely seen in any sport. And uh, that, of course, would lead us to Jacob DeGrom, because DeGrom's performance last night, DeGrom's performance so far this year, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what other words you can say. It's almost like when you take a look at the stats or you take a look at the facts of things that he is accomplishing so far this season. It's almost like when the kid tells you about his dad and his dad can do anything, even things that sound ridiculous. That's Jacob deGrom right now. Jacob deGrom entered the conversation as the greatest pitcher on the planet four years ago by winning the National League Cy Young almost unanimously. And there's no question, no one can argue that he's better now than he was then. His dominance is so great, it puts him, it has to, in the conversation for greatest pitching performances ever. He is doing right now what Barry Bonds did to hitting like when you look at the stats, you look at them and you're like, mm, that can't be right. <laughs> no, it's right. I mean, they look like misprints and I, I'm not making the comparison of Bonds and how he got there. We all know that. But that four year span where you could not pitch to him, where he was getting on base 60 percent of the time. DeGrom is essentially the pitching equivalent of that. I mention all the time, you know, I don't like RBIs. I don't like uh, batting average. I'm a big OPS guy. OPS plus, ERA plus kind of puts it on a scale where 100 is average. Anything below is obviously below average. Anything above, the higher above you are, the greater you are. So DeGrom, just to kind of put it in some kind of perspective, four years ago when DeGrom won his first Cy Young, his ERA plus His adjusted ERA was 218. So he was 118% better than league average. He led the league. Plus 218. That's pretty high. His ERA plus this year is plus 688. (laughs) I mean, again, it looks like a misprint. And it actually went up last night. His ERA continues to go down. It's almost impossible to do it. All you have to do is just don't go out and give up any runs. And that's what he did. I mean, his ERA plus is almost 700. Pedro Martinez holds the record for the for the best ERA plus in a season. In 2000, the league ERA, the average ERA was 4.91 in the American League. And his ERA was 1.74. So his ERA plus was 291, which is silly, which is ridiculous. And yet DeGrom's is almost 700. That's outrageous, and of course the outrageousness doesn't end there. He reached 100 strikeouts in 61 and two-thirds innings. That's the fewest innings for a pitcher to reach 100 strikeouts in a season. Since when? The last 10 years? last 20 years? No, since they moved the mound to where it's located in 1893. He has the lowest ERA in 10 starts since they basically created ERA. I mean, they're still. I mean, the, the, they don't sound right. They sound ridiculous. Teams are hitting 139 against them the first time they see him. And how often do we hear about, well, you know, you don't want this guy to face the order a third time? When DeGrom faces the order a third time, their batting average is 053. It goes down significantly. And out of 193 starts now, DeGrom has allowed one or zero earned runs in 53 of his starts. Uh, Excuse me, 53% of his starts. 103 starts, he's either allowed one run or zero runs. So I brought up Pedro's name, and for me, like of the guys that I have seen, I wasn't old enough to see Bob Gibson. I wasn't old enough to see uh, Jim Palmer in his prime. But for me, if you're talking about that peak, that, that, that the highest level you can get at pitching for me, Pedro is that guy like he had that seven year span where he was just laughable how great he was. He led baseball and ERA, I think five times. He won three Cy Young's. He finished basically top three every single year. And that's the company that DeGrom is now in. I mean, it's not just that he's the best pitcher in baseball. He's so far out in front as being the best pitcher in baseball. No question about it. And obviously the other stat that everybody was mentioning last night, that he now has more RBIs this season than runs allowed this season. He has five RBIs. He's allowed four runs. So what he is doing is just absolutely astounding. And again, you look at the stats and you think, eh, that can't be right. No, they're right. But they're, I mean, they are laughable how much better he is than everybody else. And what he is doing to pitching right now It's kind of like what Bonds did in that four-year span where he was winning the MVP every single year. Now, for him, no one was ever saying, gee, how does he do it? No, we kind of knew. No, for DeGrom, you are kind of wondering, like, how is this guy able to do this at this level? I mean, he has been outstanding and just keeps getting better. Again, the first time he won a, a Cy Young, he did so in almost unanimous fashion. This year, he is a better pitcher now than he was then. His velocity higher now than it was then. But unfortunately, almost from the category of why can't we have nice things, last night he leaves after six innings. And as soon as he did, it was obvious, well, something's up. right? You don't, you don't leave a 3 nothing game when you're dominating hitters like he was last night against a good Padres team unless there's something that is wrong. And after the game it came out, he's got right flexor tendinitis. Leave it to the Yankees and Mets to teach us more about our body. Did you know that you had flexors? I, I didn't even know. I, 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 apparently, I got a left one. I got a right one. Uh, so he is, he's, he's, has lead to leave the start last night. You're thinking to yourself, uh-oh, is this going to be something long-term? Because after you know the last time where he missed time because of the strained lat. After the game, he made it out like it was no big deal. The Mets made it out like it was no big deal. He said he expects to start in five days. Luis Rojas says he expects DeGrom to start in five days. Uh, look, I'll just say this. You better be right. You better be right because you think the mood changed last night, and it really did. It went from, hey, you know, with the way he was dominating early and the way he's dominated this year. I think almost every start you watch and you're thinking, is this the night he's going to throw no-hitter? Is this the night he's going to throw a perfect game? And that mood changed very quickly last night from, hey, this is like a celebration. All these fans back in the stands. Everybody's rocking and rolling. And all of a sudden, DeGrom leaves after six innings. And you're like, ro So imagine how quickly the mood will change if he were to miss any significant time. And, you know, that's kind of got a do-over on, you know, with the latch strain. He didn't go on the IL, just sat out. And I guess it was what? He missed a start. And then he came back, and then he ended up on the IL. uh, IL. So you you were wrong last time. You better hope that's not a trend because the best thing, even maybe more so than DeGrom, is that the Mets have, you know, they're playing in a division where they can't play their way out of it. They are in the worst division in baseball. The Marlins Nationals are essentially sunk. They have figured out a way (laughs) to play themselves out of it. And really, I think your only competition in the division is the Braves, if they ever wake up. And it doesn't seem like, it seems like they're still sleeping pretty well. I mean, all season, it's one thing if you are a team like the Braves who is, you know, under 500, but it's really the result of one bad stretch. You know, you lost eight in a row, you lost nine in a row. The Braves have played like a below 500 team pretty, or or a 500 team pretty much all season you know april they were 12 and 14 may they were uh, i think they were 13 and 12 june they're they're four and six so uh, i don't think that anything is going on there so i don't see why you wouldn't give yourself a little bit of wiggle room if you're the mets after having the best pitcher in the planet already avoid injury once now you have a second thing pop up and you're not taking a little bit more of a cautious approach and look Maybe it's because I'm a Yankee fan and I've been burned by injuries. I know I know the trend with the Yankees. It always becomes, oh, well, he, this guy, he's just got a little thing. It's no big deal. He's not going to miss any time. Don't be ridiculous. No, this is fun. And then the next day, well, you know, we decided to give him a day after thinking about it overnight, you know, just to be careful. And then the next day, well, we decided to give him an extra day. You know, again, we want to be careful. We just want to get that thing out of there. And then it's, well, he's still not right. We're going to send him for some tests. We don't think it's anything. We already did some tests. Nothing showed up. And then, oh, look at that. It's a big deal. So more so than anything the Mets do this year on DeGrom and the injury that he's now dealing with, they better be right. More so than anything else, you better be right. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. So coming up, we will get your calls involved, obviously, 1-800-919-3776. We will hear from Jacob DeGrom and uh, we will hear, I guess he has one cut where he's talking about how he's felt like, the, he's, he's felt this thing in his elbow for a while. So we can all, all the Met fans will start to get the agita as uh, we'll hear about Jacob DeGrom's elbow, plus the Yankees issues. We will attempt, as I said, I'm filling in for Dave. So I will attempt Stump Rothenberg at 1030. I can't make any promises. I have in the past done Stump and have done amazingly well. But those are type, those performances are not indicative of future return. I can't make any promises that today's segment will be nearly as good as that, but I guess we'll just have to find out together.
0: You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com.
1: I was doing the show with uh, Larry last night, and then, you know, waking up this morning, getting some coffee in you, and you just kind of see, make sure nothing happened overnight. And then Ty Butler just informing me that uh, last night, apparently there was some uh, airplane that was, was hot. somebody tried to leave, I guess, leave the airplane while it was in the air. Now, they're, they're calling it like a hijack. I don't know that you can necessarily hijack an airplane by jumping out of it. But, you know, it just seems like, you know, when, when everything was going on with the NBA and people were like, what's going on with these fans? They can't behave themselves. Have you noticed the world? People can't behave themselves anywhere. And it's shocking. The only thing shocking about that was that the plane did not either it was not either coming from or landing in Florida. That's I mean, that's probably the biggest upset. It was going from like L.A. to like Atlanta and they had to land in was it Oklahoma City? Boy, crazy times. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. All right, let's get some phone calls. in. if you want to get in on DeGrom, we'll hear from DeGrom coming up here in a second. Let's get to uh, some calls, though. Al in Holbrook. Al, you're first up on ESPN New York.
2: How you doing, Gordon? Yeah. You stole my thunder, man. I was about to say, was it was not leaving uh, Miami International? <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Exactly. Um,
3: but the plane.
2: <laughs> okay, I want to talk about the ground. I'm a big Yankee fan, so this doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing to me how good this guy has gotten in the last three, four years. I mean, there was a time where I would have told you, or before the injury, I would have told you, or most people would have told you, that synagogue was the better pitcher. And it's amazing to me how DeGrom, four years later, is doing things that the greatest pitchers of all time have not done. You know, I mean, it's remarkable that he's gotten this good in such little time.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously it's the increased velocity, and I guess that kind of just makes you worry, you know, for all the talk about him throwing, uh, you know, this many pitches over 100 miles an hour, hitting 101, 102, highest velocity of his career. You know, the fact that it's now coming also with uh, some some ailments, some injuries, first the lat and now this uh, this other thing with his elbow, uh, maybe it's just not sustainable. But yeah, I mean, in terms of where he's at right now, uh, again, as I pointed out, the the numbers are his strikeout to walk ratio, which has always been, you know, five, six, very, very good. This year, it's almost 13. I mean, it's just it's laughable to see how he is just not dominating. He is like toying with hitters. I actually, You're right, and I actually thought about that, and I, and I wondered when this whole sticky stuff uh, came about, how would he do on his
2: next next pitching uh, performance? And he and he still, even through the – you know, he got injured, obviously, but, I mean, it's, he had a point where he's knocked in more runs than he's given up this season. I mean, yeah. that, that is just mind blocking.
1: Yeah, well, I mean – and Al, thanks for the phone call. You know, he got to a, a point where it was always – the the team just did not score for him, so he's taking things into his own hands this year, right? I mean, sometimes you got to do it yourself. And now that the uh, the the DH is out of the National League, he can uh, get in a batter two here and and can knock in some runs as well himself. Uh, so five RBIs, four runs allowed, that's a pretty good thing. Yeah, in terms of the the whole uh, illegal substances thing. I, I don't know how he's able to do it. It seems that from everybody you talk to and hear from illegal substances on the ball, you know, the spider tack or whatever combination of materials that wouldn't make you throw harder. It, it gives you more m- movement. It allows you to increase your spin rate. So it seems as if the the strides that DeGrom has been able to make has been a result of him throwing harder. Uh, so that, wouldn't, that one thing wouldn't tie into the other thing. Now, is that to say that he's definitely not using it? I don't know. The, the, the reports that I've seen is that 80 to 90% of pitchers are using some form of substance or something. So I, I, if that, that the number is that high, you would think that, yeah, probably everybody is using it. So, But I don't think that that has tied into why he has been uh, so dominant this year. I think it's just the increased velocity and and just being able to go up that one extra notch, right? Like it wasn't like he wasn't throwing hard before, but now he's throwing harder than basic. He's throwing harder, more consistently than anybody in the sport. So the fact that he has been able to go up that extra degree, and it's not just the fastball because it's, it's uh, it's almost like all three of his pitches. He's able to attack based on the, the situation and has been able to be dominant as a result. And again, Third time through the order, he's actually been more dominant than he is the first time through the order. And the first time through, <laughs> first time through the order, he's actually pretty dominant as well. All right, let's hear from Degrom after the game last night, because you know as great as his performance has been, as great as things are right now for the Mets for him, there is that 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 kind of that looming cloud in the horizon where he has now missed some time already this year because of some stuff, and now. This other thing has popped up and was for, forced him to uh, leave last night's game after six innings. So here is DeGrom after the game last night talking about the injury.
4: Um, it's along the flex. You know, that's, that's the thing. Whenever you say elbow, anything, you know, for a pitcher, everybody gets a little, um, you know, nervous about that. Um, but like I said, I, I, I do a lot of ligament tests on my own. Um, and doing those, knowing what that feels like, it's a total different spot. So, like I said, I'm not too worried about it. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's something that we can treat and, and run back out there in five days.
1: All right. So, look, I mean, he's so self-sufficient. Even self-diagnoses his injuries. This guy's like his own WebMD. He's amazing, this DeGrom guy. Uh, well, look, the fact that he was talking after the game, is probably the best sign. Like, we were doing the show last night, so you yeah, obviously you can't have the TV up, but, you know, the, the post game is on. And when I saw him at the podium, I said, well, that's a good sign. You know, the fact that he's not off getting tests done already, because at that point, you knew what it was, but you really didn't know how serious it was. You wanted to hear from him. You wanted to hear from the manager. So the fact that he was actually there to be interviewed after the game, that has to be a good sign. So uh, here he is talking about the discomfort that uh, he has been feeling.
4: Um, you know, I felt it this week, um, in between, um, you know, it, I'm not too concerned about it cause it didn't get much worse as the game went on. Um, but there in the, what was that? The sixth inning, um, when I was loosening, when I was trying to loosen up, I, I, I could feel it. Um, and it was tightening up a little bit. Um, but you know, I've had a. El- a couple elbow issues before and I know what that feels like. So my level of concern is, is not too high. Um, you know, I I um I'm pretty optimistic about it and I'm pretty sure it's gonna be something that's that we can treat and hopefully not miss any time.
1: All right. So there's degrom on that. And then uh he has one more about I guess get, getting some tests done. Doesn't look like they're gonna do an M R I or anything like that. Here's DeGrom.
4: Um, based on feel, um, you know, we did all the ligament tests and all that checks out. Um, you know, I, like I said, I I, kind of, I know how that feels. I I tried to pitch with a partially torn ligament when I first got drafted, and I know how that feels. And this didn't feel anything like that, so I'm pretty optimistic about where we're at.
1: All right, so there's Jacob Degrom, and uh, you're you're hoping, as I said in the open, you just better hope that uh, the Mets are right. Uh, this has been. A very enjoyable Met season because you, you, your team has showed the, some of the characteristics that you want. It's not just the dominance of, of DeGrom, but it's the resiliency of the team overall. You know, overcoming all the injuries, even with these guys being out for as long as you have, uh, as long as they have been, and this division which we thought was going to be this deep division coming into the year, and it really has not turned out that way. So you have taken you've taken the division by the, the horn so far, and you've built up this little bit of a lead. So hopefully this is the type of thing that um, you can continue and, and just keep building this lead so if and when the Braves wake up. And to me, that's the only team that I would be kind of concerned about. right? Like the Nationals, you saw uh, Max Scherzer go out last night, and he suffered an injury, so... He's probably going to miss some time, but the Nationals are long out of it, even more so than the Marlins. I mean, the Marlins played their way out of the division, but to do so, they lost like nine games in a row. So when you're talking about the National League East, it's the Mets and it's probably the Braves because we felt that way about them coming into the year. And you take a look at their team and and they would seem to have the pieces required to, to kind of make a deep run or at least make a challenge in the division. But the Phillies seem to be pretty flawed their bullpen is is terrible and they're so up and down that I don't really feel like there's any level of consistency there that's going to you know they're basically a 500 team as well so I get it there there's reasons of for concern with the Mets you know with the injuries and and you were kind of hoping at one point you know what just let's get to July and let's just be at 500 I think that you you're you're sitting and and you're looking how your team is doing even without Conforto without McNeil without uh, Nimmo without J.D. Davis And you have to like where you're at and and considering where you're at with with this division overall and the fact you're going to be playing this division now pretty much almost exclusively between now and and July 1st. This is the time to to make your move and kind of put a stranglehold on a division, which is just simply not very good.
0: You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com.
1: I'm going to hope you didn't pay for it. But did anybody else see that celebrity boxing match last? I guess it took place. It was late last night. It was like midnight last night or 1130. Uh, Aaron Carter and uh, Lamar Odom. I thought society had hit rock bottom with the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather fight. But it was hold my beer. Yeah, that was a hold my beer kind of moment. And uh, if you did not see it, if I could describe it to you in one way. Uh, it would be that Aaron Carter made Logan Paul look like Muhammad Ali. Uh, that, I, I don't know if there was any training involved at all. I, it might have been a It was a surprise to me when I saw it on my Twitter feed. It, it seemed like it might have been a surprise to Aaron Carter as well. It did not go well. Like that uh, hijacking or attempted hijacking of the plane, it did not go well. This did not go well either. One 919 ESPN. One 3776 one nine three seven seven six. Let's go back to the phones. Shall we? Hey, you know what? Let's uh, touch on the Yankees a little bit. I have not. I've got a full hour. I, I've done. My, I've done my due diligence, people. I talked about Jacob DeGrom. I did all the things that you have to do after a performance. And the questions last night. I have fulfilled my obligations. You cannot say Gordon. He only talks about the Yankees, Yankees all the time, Knicks all the time. No, I did a full hour. One full hour on the Mets and the brilliance of Jacob DeGrom. But the Yankees, uh, they've taken the back seat here because they had last night off. And may I just say, thank God they had a night. You know, a tie texted me, why are the Yankees off today? I said, thank God the Yankees are off today. I need need a day off. Giancarlo Stanton needs to, to get off his feet. I need to get off my feet in a proverbial sense from the Yankees watching them every single night. I need a palate cleanser because that's how bad this Yankee season has been. This Yankee season has been like uh, the pizza rolls right out of the microwave. You need a palate cleanser after that. Yeah, you definitely need a palate cleanser after watching the Yankees. And uh, as I said earlier, you know, you want to see signs. You're a fan. You're hoping to see signs. You want to believe. But every single time that you might start to have faith or hope or, I don't know, a glimmer of something, you have nights like Thursday night. So, yeah, you go into Minnesota, you win the first two games, you hit a bunch of home runs, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, it's, it's the Twins. You're putting all the caveats out in front of it. But you're on the verge of a sweep, and you're thinking to yourself, well, all right, look, at least they were able to do this. The time they, they went up against the Tigers, you were hoping for a sweep, and they didn't win any of the games. So at least here, you're going to sweep. And then Chapman comes in, and oh, my Lord. I mean, we've seen implosions before, but, boy, that was fast. That was, hey, we're going to win the game. Uh-oh, the game is tied. Uh-oh, the game is over. It, like, it was good morning, good afternoon, and good night. So, yeah, you you want to have hope. You would like to believe that at some point the Yankees are going to start to perform like the Yankees. But the deeper you get into the season, you have to come to grips with the, the, the moment of clarity where, you know what? Maybe it's just never going to click. Maybe this is the team that they are. And at this point... If guys did kind of start to perform, that would be more surprising. And it's great that some guys, you have started to see some glimmers, right? Glaber, to me, that's the first guy, first and foremost. That's a guy you're counting on, a guy in the middle of the lineup that you have expectations on. You know, if you're looking at the Yankees, who makes up the Yankees and are major contributors you can't afford to lose, well, Glaber Torres, so far this season, has not been very good. He has not been the guy that you thought that he was going to get back to after last year. And in fact, for a good portion of this year, he's actually been worse. Last year, not that it's a, not that you can excuse it, but at least you can explain it away by it was a weird year, 60 games, he wasn't in shape, all these different things. This year, he was supposed to be in in great shape. This is a, a full season, so the fact that he is not, he started to kind of get back there here in the last you know two three weeks. But the fact that his numbers are at where they are for the season, that to me is is probably the most troubling sign along with DJ LeMahieu. I mean, there's no other way to put it. DJ LeMahieu has been bad. He's been really... I mean, he is having the worst career of his year, and he's batting leadoff in the first year of a six-year contract. Yikes! Yeah, you got a whole... I, I mean... I think that it's uh you saw where he was in, in Colorado and he came here and he's just been so amazing and has done everything in regular season, postseason, every the machine, all these different things. And I guess the fact that he is he's even worse so far this year from where he was performing at Colorado would make you think, all right, well, if he has a regression from where he was the first two years of his Yankee season, he should still be better than what he has been. So that's certainly troublesome. Uh, Gary Sanchez has been a little bit better. But again, you know, talk about being burned by the pizza rolls. You've been burned by Gary Sanchez a few times here. So he's been better than he was last year. Still is not where he was two years ago, but has been better here in the last couple of weeks. So maybe some signs. At this point, Gary Sanchez is not one of the Yankees that I'm counting on. If I get something from him, fantastic. But the problem is the lineup at times can be good. But they can't really live and, and succeed with a lineup that at times can be good. The, the, the lineup has to kind of be the thing that carries them. And if you're looking at guys, well, all right, we got some signs here, and Duhar starting to look like the guy he was from a few years ago. So, yeah, I guess you can kind of paint a picture if you wanted to that, yeah, it's still bad and it might still stay bad, but at least there's some reasons to think it might be better. But one of the big ones is there's no help on the way. I mean, that, that's, that one is crystal clear. So uh, that, that's not just looking at little glimmers here and there. That one is obvious. There's no big trades, no major shakeups. The Yankees aren't over, uh, going over the luxury tax threshold. So the, the group is the group. You've got to solve it yourselves. There's no, they're, they're right now like in an escape room. That uh, they got to solve the problems themselves. Nobody's coming to give them any hints. Nobody's telling them to move that book on the shelf or it's under the table or anything like that. They got to figure it out on their own. And another one of the big questions is, of course, about Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, Only going to pinch hit this weekend. They have made it clear they are not going to play him. Well, they haven't said that they're not going to play him in the outfield ever. They say eventually there's a chance that he might, uh, they might get him out. But not right now. No, <laughs> no, not of course. Not, not right now. Not when you're sitting in third place and you're more than a third of the way through the season and you have a weekend series where his bat would obviously be a major help in your lineup considering he's swinging it pretty well here over the last few days. No, you're not going to play him now in the outfield. But yes, of course, some nondescript day down the line in the future that we'll never, ever see. Sure, then that's when you'll probably play Look, this is a guy who's making 14% of the team payroll. He's strictly a DH and never plays. Never plays. He's constantly in and out of the lineup. Part of it is they want to try to keep him healthy. Part of it is they're not able to keep him healthy. And I mean, I was thinking about DJ LeMayhew and the first year of a six-year contract. You know, I would say while it's only 60-something games, I would think that there is a little bit of buyer's remorse there. With Stanton, boy, there's a ton of buyer's remorse there. That that I mean, that contract, that has a real possibility of just being an outright disaster. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. Let's go back to the phones. Stump is at 1030, of course. Um, let's go to uh, Sam is in Rockland. Sam, you're next up on ESPN New York.
2: Hey Gordon, you gotta hear me out on this one, okay? Right. The Yankees just gotta start thinking a little bit outside the box, just like okay. all the other. Define that. Arrays. What do you
1: mean by outside the box?
2: You know, they have the Rays who will get these like guys like that, Randy, whatever his last name is got they found Randy somewhere. okay. Yeah, he's amazing. And the Giants are in first place, you know, mm-hmm. why? I mean, they're not spending, they're just finding players smartly. So, you know, the Yankees they did find Gio, they found someone Duhar, right. do they found in the past, boy, they found all these players. They just got to keep doing that. And even if they do get injured, maybe sign them to three-year deals in the future. But, you know, there's a lot of these key defectors, two or three of them, just 19 years old, 22. Just, I mean, those are good players. Sign them to big deals. Um, not big deals, but like short-term deals and see how they are. You know, you got all these Asian players from overseas. You got to give people, you know, start trying new players out. You know, the stars, if you sign them seven-year deals, they get a little complacent. So, and the big stars, they sell the uniforms, they sell the jerseys, but the people who are going to – are the hardworking players. The Red Sox, they relied on those players for their whole championship run. Pedroya, uh, whatever his oh, name is. was a high Beck.
1: draft pick. I mean, Petro I know Pedroya has this image because he's a small guy that he wasn't like, he was like a star at, like, Arizona State, which is like a baseball pipeline. So he was not some, like, unheralded guy that they found in the back <laughs> – the backfield someplace. Look – None of those things and look, the Yankees are always, I would think, kind of searching all these different places to, to find talent and all the none of that's going to help now. And you're saying about, uh, well, don't sign these guys to big long term deals. Uh, too late. Too late. You know, Stanton is here for forever. Uh, Lemayhew, as I said, first year of a six year deal. Cole, who has been fantastic, he's obviously got his contract. Uh, Aaron Hicks is here for a very long time. You know, the Yankees have like six or seven guys who are making a good bulk of the money. And then they have a bunch of guys who are are, are fairly cheap. You know, Aaron Judge so far is not really all that expensive. Now he's starting to get expensive because he's getting closer to free agency. But same thing uh, for Sanchez and, and Glaber's not really making any money as of yet. And Frazier, you know, a lot of these guys, they're not really making the, the big time money that I think people think that they are. So, um, look, there's lots of ways you can fix the team long-term, but that's not really what the focus should be right now. It's about this season. It's about right now. And you've got to figure out a way to, I don't know what it is, to get guys to perform like they are expected to perform. DJ LeMay, you get him to where he... Now, again, as I said, there are some guys who are pointing maybe in the right direction or far more in the right direction than they have been. They need to get those guys pointed clearly in the right direction right now.
0: You're listening to the Dave Rothenberg Show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com.
1: We're not going to stump Dave today because Dave is off. I'm Gordon Damer filling in. So uh, Dave is all those things. I mean, I, I didn't say it. they said it. Uh, I'm much more agreeable. I'm much more personable. Um, I'm your friend. So if you're if you're if you're a big meanie and you want to come up with some really awful questions, you, you certainly can do that. And I think that the Sharks, as I said before, are, are kind of they smell the blood in the water. So we'll see. Uh, but this is Stump Rothenberg, and I should tell you right off the bat: Let's not get this part wrong because if I get this wrong, boy, then I'm really in trouble. It's brought to you by MGM Sports. Place your parlays, props, and futures bets at the king of sportsbooks. Get the app today. Also, Stump Rothenberg brought to you by the law offices of Andrew M. Cohen. Whether the issue is simpler or complex, the law office of Andrew M. Cohen can help you achieve your needs through careful legal planning. Call 516-877-0595 or visit AM Cohen. Law.com. So I've already nailed... Does that count as one? One and oh, Ty? It does. You're one and oh to start. One to, to start. All right. Well, that's very good. All right. Let me get off the um, that page and let's get to the calls. Now, look. I already have a ton of pressure, right? Because Dave is unbelievable at this. This is his wheelhouse. This is his segment. There's a reason why it's not Stump Whoever. It's it's Stump Rothenberg. It's not, you know, Stump DiPietro or Stump K. It's Stump Rothenberg. So... And Ty has put further pressure on me by saying... There's one of the questions that are up there right now that I should get. So already you see what Ty does. This is this is a manipulation by him. But he's pulling the strings behind the scenes. You think he's a good guy? He's not a good guy. So he says that Ryan and Bloomfield has a question. So let's go to Ryan and Bloomfield first. Ryan, you're first up on Stump Rothenberg, my friend.
3: Hey Gordon,
2: let's start you off with a stump. Okay. Who was the last switch hitter? to win the American League
1: MVP. Oh, I know that. Um, that is Vita Blue. I think it was 72 with the Oakland A's. You're correct? right. Best ah, there best. we go. 2-0. Oh. Well, there you go. You, you, Ty, you, you. you can start 1-0 because oh, I got wheelhouse. that one right. That's your yeah. wheelhouse. My there friend. you go. Well, it's a little bit before my time, but you know, that's that, that one came up uh, because Jose Ramirez, you remember last year, Jose Ramirez, one of the finalists, switch hitter, american league mvp now dj LeMayhu should have won it correct but with the way dj has performed so far this year he'd have to it would be rescinded he'd have to kind of give the award back all right we are now uh two and zero. i will count that as two and zero. i don't know if that's the official scoring or not but let's uh move on here we will go to who would you uh, suggest next here ty
2: uh, let's go to... Well, no,
1: no, no. I'm asking who you would suggest. No, I'm saying, yeah. If I, if I were to give a suggestion... Yeah, if you
2: were to pick, who would you go with? I would I would go with Chris and Beth Page.
1: All right, let's go to Cullum in the Bronx. <laughs> Cullum, you're next up on ESPN New York. Oh, uh, Gordon, that was hilarious. I was... Uh, <laughs>
3: um, really quick, yeah. let's not call this Stump Rothenberg. Let's call this Dupe Dammer.
1: Dupe Damer. Okay. All right. We can do that. I don't know. Yeah. That. I think Dave might, uh, you know, he might uh, complain about well, we copyright got, infringement
3: we, or something. Well, no, we have question. We have question Mark. So now we have Dupe Damer. Oh, okay. All right. I like that. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So is that the question? Am I three and zero? Oh? All right. I'm off. No, no, right, no. <laughs> no, who is the all time leader in a single season lead off home runs national league?
1: Wait a second. National League all-time, National League leader Ooh. all-time in home runs for a season. Lead-off home run, lead-off home runs in a single season. Single season, lead-off home runs, National League. Uh, all right, so I'm going to ask one you. one hint for you. Okay, give me the hint. The one hint is he
3: also is the leader in the American League.
1: Hmm. See, I would have thought in American League, it clearly would have been Ricky Henderson. But you're saying National League? Ricky didn't really play in the National League. Most leadoff home runs, leadoff home runs in the National League, huh? I'm trying to think of who had and the League. He's both. He's both American League and National League. Well, that tells you yeah. that I really should.
3: Yeah, the record get him. for both National yeah. League and American League. He's definitely a player you know and are extremely familiar with.
1: Well, I, I don't know that he played all that much in the National League, but I'm going to go with. Uh, Alfonso Siriano played a lot in the National League. Um, I'm going to say Ricky Henderson. I don't think he played a lot in the National League, but I'll say Ricky Henderson. No, you just said the name Alfonso Soriano. Oh that man. was the answer. I was so close. You know, I was trying to think of guys who bat, batted leadoff who had a lot of power. Um so I thought maybe Ricky had played more in the national league than I thought. I know he played with the Padres, he played with the Mets, you know, going that way. That one hurts though, doesn't it? You'd rather yeah, it have stinks. Had no idea. What's that? I said, you would rather have no idea what the answer yeah. is. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I guess. Um, than to literally have it and then yeah, go I had it. another Yeah, I had it. I was close. I was close. And I probably should have, uh, you know, if I had done this more often, I'd have realized, you know, and I brought up Ricky Henderson. He didn't say, hey, you got it. So it's probably not Ricky oh, Henderson. So yeah. I probably should have jumped on it more. It happens. It happens. This is what happens when you don't do it very often. Um, let's go to, um, who would you go to now? Their hotshot Ty Butler. I would go to Danny in Long Island. All right, Chris and Beth Page. Chris, you're next up on ESPN New York. Hey, Gordon. Um, I
3: had a really good Dallas Baptist question for you, but I just I'd
1: <laughs> I it. will. We will immediately cut you off, Chris. If that we will we will uh, uh, we will go with the dump button if that's the case. But go ahead.
3: All right. So, uh, who is the youngest pitcher ever to throw a no hitter?
1: Youngest pitcher. To ever throw a no-hitter, um, I will. I will go it. Uh, obviously, uh, with the the previous uh, the hints of have I seen this guy play?
3: Uh, how old are you?
1: I am fifty years old.
3: Yes, yes, you definitely saw him play. Yes,
1: youngest guy to ever throw a no-hitter. Well, I, I mean, I, this would be very odd. That this would be the way it would, two answers would be the same guy. But I, I'm going to, I'm trying to think if that's, is it Vita Blue? Vita Blue is very good early. Um, so I'm going to, it would be weird that there's two answers with Vita Blue. So I'm going to say Vita Blue.
3: It's very weird, and it is correct. It wow, years look at
1: that, Vita Blue. We have two answers with Vita Blue, and the only reason why uh, I, I actually know really all that much about Vita Blue is the, the point I made before, but uh, I brought this up on my own show. I'm redecorating my man cave uh, bathroom in old baseball cards, and Vita Blue is prominently featured. So, you know, when you're downstairs... Not, base, not now so much, but during the pandemic, you know, on a, on a rainy, cold, wintry day, you start reading the back of baseball cards, you're sitting there. It's the dream, isn't it? Sitting in your pajamas in your basement locked away in a bathroom. It's exactly how I imagined my life would turn out. Uh, all right, so what are we now? Two and one? Three and one? Two whatever and one, we one, baby. Two and one. Should we got one, only enough. one wrong. We should really be should be three, three and oh. oh. You're right, Ty. That's an excellent point. I'm, you should I'm bring that up to Dave. When me. you talk to Dave about this, because Dave will check in. He'll say, "Oh, how'd Gordon do?" Yes, he will. Tell him Gordon knew. Look, I did not know every answer. I didn't get every answer right, but I've known every answer so far. <laughs> yes, you have. That's i a, a I'm always looking for the loophole, right? I'm always looking for the loophole. Uh, Danny on Long Island. He's been holding the longest. Danny, go, my friend.
3: Uh, what is Vita Blue's real name? Just
1: kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. No.
3: Listen, okay. okay, here's my question. Good question, better story. All right. There have been 14 combined no-hitters in Major League history. Can you okay. tell me the pitcher that started the first combined no-hitter?
1: The first combined no-hitter. The pitcher who has thrown the first combined no-hitter. Now, again, I will simply ask you, Danny, what I ask everybody. Have I seen this guy pitch? No. Uh, the, the chances of me getting it are very, very slim. I know the Astros threw a combined no-hitter, and I want to say that Roy Oswalt was the guy who, um, I think it was him that started that game, but I'm not positive. So uh, what time frame are we talking about?
3: Uh, uh, time, am 50s? I allowed to give extra hints? Yeah, I, I that, yeah, that's 50s, a fair
1: 50s, 40s, one. are we talking 60s? I would say, okay, we'll say before 1940. We'll oh, the, there's we'll no, there's the no chance year. of me getting it, Danny. I have no idea, no idea. 1940 Are you ready for the score? Yeah, go ahead, give oh, me okay, the story. I said before 1940s. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It could be 1945. It doesn't matter. Go ahead, give it to me.
3: Before 1930.
1: Is it, is it going back in time here? Is it before 1930? It's before 1930. It doesn't before matter. 1920. It doesn't matter. It, well, if it's not like 1972, it doesn't really matter. I don't know.
3: On June 23rd, 1915, Red Sox pitcher Babe Ruth took to the hill, walked the first batter on four pitches, stormed off the mound, punched the umpire because he felt he was being squeezed, was quickly thrown out of the game and suspended for 10 games. Ernie Shaw came into the game, picked off the first batter, and then retired, picked off the guy who walked, and then retired 26 batters in a row for a quasi-perfect game no-hitter combined with Babe Ruth.
1: Well, there you go, Danny. I did not know that one. Uh, that's I had a better chance of getting a hockey question. Let's put it that way. Now back to stop Rothenberg or dump Damer. Or no, it's a dupe Damer. At least it has not been dump Rothenberg. If I'd really done bad, you'd have to say that the segment was dump Rothenberg. So uh, we've done okay so far, and uh, in, in case you're just joining us, it is Gordon Damer filling in for Dave, 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Uh, if you're keeping score at home, I have known all of the answers except one, and that was a question about 1918 uh, baseball. So I feel like that one shouldn't count. I feel like there's like a time stamp on these things. So uh, if you really want to be like a fair judge, you could say I've known every answer. Uh, all right, let's go back to the phones. It is a Stump Rothenberg. One 919 ESPN is the telephone number. Now, Ty, who would you say would be you would go with next? Who would your choice be?
2: My choice would be uh, Fran and Massapequa.
1: Fran and Massapequa, you are next up on ESPN, New York. Fran, you got to keep him guessing. That's the thing with Ty. You got to keep him guessing. What's up, Fran? How you doing? Fran, what's going on, buddy? How you been? Long time no talk.
3: I'm a big-time regular, and uh, you're doing a great job.
1: Thank you, my friend. I agree. I agree with you. That 1918 question. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's, no a, a, that's a bogus question. Anybody who's yeah, getting I mean, that right, I, I, don't, I'm so, I don't know what to tell you. But go ahead. Thanks, like Sam.
3: What, what sport did George Washington play? I mean, you know, crazy. But anyway, I'm going to go to the movies, Dirty Dancing.
1: And movies, the, the Dirty movie, Dancing, okay. I, I've seen it. The, I, I've just, I remember the, it slightly. The second main
3: character is Baby, the girl. Yeah. Okay, in the movie, what was her name? You just have to give me the first name. Oh, baby. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Her name, her nickname was Baby in the movie. But in the movie, her actual,
1: she mentions her first name. Her, to Patrick her real first name in the movie? Yeah, she mentions it in the movie. What's uh, what's the actress? You just got to give Ray, me the first uh, name. Baby. Yeah. Um, her real name in the movie Dirty Dancing. Yeah, she mentions it. She's
3: laying down in bed with Patrick Swayze. And he says, Hey baby, what's your real first name? Or real name? And he told and and she tells him. I was gonna say this one for Dave, but I I wanted to try to see, you know, I wanted to give it to you.
1: So give it to me again. They're lying in the scene where they're lying in uh, bed. lying in bed. And her, her nickname in the movie's baby. Right, baby. Yeah, baby. yeah, yeah. Nobody puts baby so he in the corner. Says, so he goes, uh, hey, baby, what's yeah, that your kinda real rings name? a bell now. Now that you say that. If you didn't give me that, I wouldn't have got it. But um
3: He says, Hey baby, what's it, is it your Fran real Fran or real Francis?
1: Name? Francis. You That's a great guess. You got it. There you go. I'm pulled I'm pulled. <laughs> if he wouldn't have told me to see I don't remember her ever saying it. But then when he said the scene, yeah, that kind of did ring a bell. So Fran going the uh, route of uh, well, Look, I don't know what to tell you. I'm incredible. Maybe maybe we should start doing Dump Day. I always need segments on uh, on the weekends. You know, we're doing that uh, net picks and chill. Nobody's writing home about that one. Um, all right, Ty, who would you go to next? This might be the final one. <sighs> this might be your final crack. Oh, man, this is a tough one. Uh, Dativer and Jamaica. Frank in Bergenfield, <laughs> you're next up on ESPN New York. Frank?
3: Hey, how you doing? Uh, Frank. I
1: have a question.
3: Four gentlemen in Major League history have 3,000 hits, 300 homers, and ended up with a 300 lifetime batting average. I'll give you two, including the hard one. George Brett and Willie Mays were two of them.
1: All right, wait, the wait, wait. I gotta write that. I gotta, I gotta write this down. Give it to me again. Three thousand hits. Three hundred homers. Three hundred homers. and a three hundred lifetime. And a three hundred lifetime batting average.
3: So okay. two of them are George Brett and Willie Mays,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and the other two—one played before 1970, and one played through you know past 1970.
1: One played before 1970, and the other played after uh, 1970. Through, ni- through, ni- through 1970. You know, you, in, in, within your lifetime. <laughs> okay, so one guy is within my lifetime. 3,000 hits, 300 home runs, and a 300 batting average. Yes, sir. <sighs> one played before 1970. Well, the first guy that would come to mind uh, before 1970 is a guy that gets slept on is Stan Musial. Uh, the guy after that, stand right. man. Yeah, that one, that one jumped out to me yeah. right away. The guy he after that, overlooked quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all the time. I mean, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, and you said Willie Mays and George Brett were the guys you and gave, George, you, right? Yeah. Willie Mays yeah. would have been George like the Brett first the when guy. you first said it. Willie Mays was the first guy I thought of. Well, um, well, I, the last guy, people think. <laughs> I will. St- I will stick with, you know, kind of the under. I mean, not, maybe not so much anymore, but at least during his career was underrated. <sighs> I'll say Hank Aaron. And you say, right. All right. There we go. <gasps> yeah, I mean, those are two guys. That, I mean, he gave me the easy guys because Brett would be a guy that I would know right away because, you know, Speaking of the baseball card bathroom, he's prominently featured. I'm sure it's quite an honor for George Brett. Um, But those two guys, yeah, that that one, uh, that's a fair question. That's a good, solid trivia question. Good, solid trivia question. All right, let me, um, do I have time to do one more, or should we stop here? You have time. All right, let me, should I do the read here? Just get that in so we don't run out of time? we got to wrap the segment with the read. Okay. All right, do what we want. (laughs) Um. All right, so who would you go to next here? Hotshot. It's, it's a tough one. Uh Datavere in Jamaica. Datavere in Jamaica. You are final up on Stump Rothenberg. Hey, Gordon. Hi. Hey, Dada How are you, buddy? Yeah, good. i been listening. You're doing a great job. I'm I, really, I think uh, I am too. Really I'm amazing. Yes, I am proud of myself. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Don't get too. Don't get too egotistical.
1: This is no, a tough one. No, of course okay? not. That's Dave's thing. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I know. Hey, now, Garden. What the record for the most consecutive home runs by a player is eight. From, now, when you say most consecutive
1: times. home runs, do you mean in games or in at bats? You yes. mean
3: games? No. What is the, the the most? It's consecutive games, one game after the other, for a major leaguer. to hit a home run is eight games. Eight
1: there games straight with a home run. run.
3: One game after the next. Right, Home okay. run, home run, home right. run, home okay. run, home run. I thought you were Eight, pulling some nine. weird stat
1: from like 1900. So who who has the record no, for most games not. with a consecutive home run? No, runs?
3: there's been three players who have That's done just, it. 1956,
1: 1987, and 1993. Name them. 19, give it to me again, the years, 1987, 1993. And what was the first one? 1956. 1956, I'm, I'm not going to get it. Uh, I'll 1956, I have Pirates, no idea. 1956. Well, I can 19, tell you, I, I can tell you, 87 is definitely Mattingly. I know that one for sure. Absol- right, absolutely. Um, and 90, Pirates, what was the other 1956. one? 1956. 1956. Oh, shoot, I almost
3: said it. 1993, the Mariners. Uh,
1: 1993, is it Griffey? Yes, yes. And the last one. Um, 1956. I I, I don't think I I don't think I can get I don't know that one. I mean, I'd have to think that, you know, the only thing that I can rely on is that Mattingly would have to have broken that record. So, you know, I actually I have a baseball card in the bathroom and I'm sitting next to the bathroom, but I can't see the cards. If I could go and pull that card, I would be able to get the answer. But 1956, I don't know. What's the answer to the 1956 one? it's, It's their law. Dale Long, I should have actually gotten that one. Yeah, you should have gotten I do it. know it that one, really but I'm not, not going to count that as a loss, Dadavir. I appreciate the question. Great job. I mean, what a an amazing job by me. It is Gordon Damer filling in for Dave Rothenberg here on the Dave Rothenberg Show. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. You ever see an event take place, and uh, as the years go by, the legend of it grows? Well, my friends, if you had been here for Stump Rothenberg today, you would have been able to uh, witness that. People reaching out to me, texting me, telling me what a fantastic job I did today. Unbelievable performance. And luckily, I was just kind of looking at Twitter. Thankfully, no one asked me to spell either of the the ladies who were competing for the French Open women's title because that would, I mean whoo that would have been difficult i don't know i don't know that i can pronounce them never mind spell them so but uh, luckily we had a little bit of fair questions today although there were some glitches there were some glitches i'm not gonna lie but we'll work that out after the show but i don't know if people have noticed but there are now 89 days until the nfl seasons opened up that i mean that it will fly by when you're a kid i've said this before when you're a kid july 4th is like the start of the summer. You hit July 4th, you're out of school, you got the whole summer in front of you, your life is, is right there. And uh, when you're an adult, July 4th, it's the end of the summer. You hit July 4th, and it's just, it flies by after that. So before you know it, even as, as, as painful it is, maybe see the summer fly by, you know, football is never too far away. 89 days, those, those days are going to fly by. So you know you just have teams wrapping up uh their mini camps giants wrapped up their mini camp and uh, you know you don't want to overreact to things that happen in mini camp but i did see two things that uh, kind of jumped out to me one was something that happened at mini camp one was the conversation we had on uh, the uh, the the night show the espn new york tonight show with larry Hardesty. so the one that happened at mini camp was obviously saquon barkley was not participating still rehabbing from the knee injury and um It seems like everybody's, you know, obviously on the same page, but everybody's saying the right things, but there's no real timetable for when Barkley will be ready. And he said, what was the quote? It's it's going to be whenever my body tells me I'm ready. Well, that's, I'm sure the right approach. He knows his body better than anybody. And he's been dealing with this the entire time. Uh, I just, I just kind of assumed that maybe this is uh, my fault for assuming that week one, right, Giants are going to be ready to go. A big season, a season full with expectations. An NFC East that is a winnable division. There's no reason why the Giants, after the, the moves that they made this offseason, are not competing for a division title this year. And to hear that, you know, Saquon Barkley, there's still no timetable Not that it's a crisis point, not that it's a five alarm fire. You're not hitting the panic button, but it is a little, I guess, a little concerning. Uh, You know, he was hurt in week two last year, so he essentially missed all of last season. He didn't get hurt in like week eight where you knew, ah, you know, next year is going to be probably a good chance that he's not ready for the start of the year. I think everybody's kind of been operating under the assumption that week one, he'll be ready to go. And it's not like the team has said that he won't be ready to go. I just thought it would be a little bit more clear-cut than that. So, And and more so than any of the additions that the Giants made this offseason, and they made big splashes, they made big moves. This is a win-now offseason. This is a win-now kind of team. When it comes to the quarterback, where all the focus and all the questions are pointing, Saquon is the biggest acquisition, if you want to look at it that way, with him being back after missing all of last year. You take a look. At Daniel Jones' career, and it's not all that deep, right? This is only year three, but you take a look at how he performs when Saquon is available and how he performs when Saquon is out or is still kind of recovering from things like the ankle injury and stuff like that. He's not the same guy. His numbers with Saquon are far better I mean it's just he he, he's one guy with Saquon and he's not the same guy when he's not there so it's absolutely critical that Barkley is back and and by week one he has to be there I mean I don't know how you can force that you can't and I guess every injury is different but you you, you, I mean for a big season for the Giants you, you have to have the running back there he is that important uh for that for that team Uh, More so than Kenny Galladay or all the other guys that they have there in terms of weapons. Saquon Barkley is the number one weapon they must have to uh, get Daniel Jones off on the right foot this year. And speaking of Daniel Jones and all the pressure that's obviously on him, uh, we were bringing up, you know, Sam Darnold's name after last year because heading into last year what were we saying well this is a big year for Sam Darnold if quarterbacks don't show you by year three that they're the guy then maybe it's a good chance that you move on the Jets did move on because last year was so bad and they're sitting there with the second pick and we were talking about well is Daniel Jones in that same spot this year it's going to be year three for him so where are the expectations there well I think that they're certainly at least at the same level, if not more, I think he actually has more riding on this season than Sam Darnold did last year. I mean, it's the same situation in some ways, but it's a far greater situation in other ways, because yes, it's the year three, but for the giants, there are expectations. I don't think anybody really had any expectations for the jets last year. I mean, maybe the most optimistic, you know, pie in the sky jet fan may have. I don't think anybody was buying into the strong finish. They had the year before. Now, I don't think that we thought that it was going to be as bad as it was. I think we had modest expectations, and even those modest expectations were overshooting it by a wide range. But nobody really thought, well, you know what, the Jets, they're going to take a major step forward this year. I think we all kind of thought it was going to be a tough go of it, even if things went fairly well, which they did not. But this year for the Giants, there are expectations. You don't make the moves that you make in the, you know, you're not sending, signing Kenny Galladay for, for two or three years from now. You're not uh, signing a Dory Jackson because you think this is the way to build your team. You're thinking these are pieces to add to a already competent team, a team that people felt good about with the way they were able to turn around last season. And with the NFC East kind of being wide open, I know the Cowboys are the, uh, the selection, you know, the betting choice and all that type of stuff. But it would not be the first time that the Cowboys did not meet expectations. So when you're taking a look at the landscape of the NFC East, it's right there for the Giants. And they're the team that made moves in the offseason that kind of tell you they think that they are going to be right up there and competing for a division title this year. But, you know, in terms of Daniel Jones, it's not just the expectations. It's that you have a coach that everybody seems to feel really good about who, again, much like the Jets, They had a GM who did not select the quarterback. The Giants have a coach who did not select the quarterback. The Giants are going to have the resources. They're going to have two first-round picks. And if things don't go well for Daniel Jones, you'd think the Giants pick is going to be fairly good. And I think that most people kind of expect the Bears pick is not going to be too shabby either. So, yeah, this is, I mean, Daniel Jones has at least as much rotting on this season that Sam Darnold has. And he has one thing that Sam never had. He clearly, especially if if Saquon is back and ready to go for week one, he does have the weapons to be successful. Like the caveat that you can throw out there for Sam Darnold last year was, hey, you know, what is he supposed to do? The offensive line outside of the left tackle is not very good. Le'Veon Bell is a disaster. You know, he's got uh, Jamison Crowder and not a whole lot else. And that's a fair point. Now, Sam didn't elevate anybody else in the process. So, I mean, that kind of goes to him. That's not going to be the case for Daniel Jones unless they just get decimated by injuries he is going to have a star-studded skill set uh, in terms of receivers and tight end who at least technically was an all pro last year we'll see if that uh, (laughs) if that pays off this year you have Saquon back so and you think that the offensive line which is still a bit of a question but another year to gel should be better than it has been in the past so yeah I mean at least as much riding on this season for for Daniel Jones as Sam Darnold did last year 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Let's go back to the phones. We'll go out to uh, Mike is in Long Beach. Mike, what's going on, buddy?
3: Hey, what's going on, Gordon? I got a, I got a quick question for you. I'm an avid Mets fan. Got to love what the boys are doing this year. Um, but, you know, there's something formulating in the outfield. You know, you know these guys, Pilar and this guy McKinney, there's just something special about these two. I wanted to get the professional take on it. What is going to happen when these guys come back? Are we taking these guys out of the game? I mean, they are carrying this team right now. This kid McKinney, you got to give it to Sandy Alderson. Thank God he's back in the organization. But what a ball player this kid is. I just wanted to hear your take on him.
1: Yeah, I mean, McKinney's a guy that uh, he came – I think he came up with the Yankees. He played for the Yankees for for a short bit, and then he got it traded to Toronto. He's never really uh, been able to hit – at the major league level. So I know he has hit so far in the short time he's played for the Mets, but you know, if Conforto and Nimmo come back, um I think it's I think it's pretty clear where where Billy McKinney is going to go. Um Pilar might get some some play, you know, defensive replacement, uh you know, late in games and stuff like that, and maybe you know, Nimmo's situation seems like it's going to be one Although they did say it, it was not just a nerve issue, it was actually a fracture or something like that, so maybe it's got time the one thing is, these guys are going to have some chance to run out there because, again, we're sitting here June 12th, and it doesn't look like either of those guys are coming back until maybe June 1st, or July 1st. So, you know, if Billy McKinney, and he's still a young guy. He's still only like 26, 27. So if he – and I think he was like a kind of a highly – maybe I'm wrong. I thought he was like kind of like a highly touted uh, prospect kind of guy. Uh, if he's, if he's going to get a chance – I mean, this is his chance, right? Sometimes it's tough when you're only getting – 20 games or so this might be among the the best run that he gets at a major league level and with the amount of stops that he's had already it's uh, it'll be a good time to uh, take advantage that's for sure
0: you're listening to the dave rothenberg show podcast on ESPNNewYork.com. new york.com